morning, MSUB students, and welcome back to the Retort Podcast. How was your week, Jordan? My week's been pretty busy. Yeah, with homework and everything? Homework, practice. Oh, man. Yeah, um, unfortunately, Ben has not is not with us today. He's going through some personal stuff, so he decided to take the week off. So I am sitting in Ben's chair, and it's a very weird feeling, if I'm being honest. I feel very, um, what's the term? Very... Like I'm in charge. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's 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 uh it's strange. It's strange being on this side of the recording because usually Ben's sitting in front of the computer and I'm on the other side of it. But uh, he should be back next week, so nothing to worry about. I don't think. Yeah. Um. So in student news, things going around on campus. There on Monday. The day that this goes out is actually Valentine's Day. So Monday, February 14th, in case you were unaware, is Valentine's Day. And Sav is doing love and stuff. And you can get free coffee and, like, stuff your own uh, stuffed animal. And it's the 14th, obviously, in the atrium from 6 to 8. And it actually sounds really fun. So if you want to make your own stuffed animal, head down there from 6 to 8. Additionally... On Thursday, the 17th, from 9 to 11 in the L.A. building, Heroes is putting on Build an Avocado Spirit. So it's supposed to be like a play on avocado. Mm -hmm. Um, Learn about resilience and get a free avocado stress squishy. I'm a big fan of avocados. Do you like avocados, Jordan? Yeah. Yeah, they're pretty good. Yes. I don't know. It's very hit or miss with avocados. Either you like them or you don't. And um, I've never met anybody that kind of likes avocados. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Make sure you keep an eye out on Campus Leak for more current events. Um, how does track work in the spring? Is it the same thing as the fall, or do you um, do indoor-outdoor? Uh, we get both indoor-outdoor. So usually for track, track indoor season, some typically starts in November, then ends, ends until like end of February, end of February, March-ish. And then, from, and then as, soon as, as soon as March hits, then all of a sudden it's like, it's like right back to outdoor season. So it's like back to back. Which one do you like better? Ooh, ooh, that's that's a good one. I don't really have a preference, but but currently right now, I've I have I have like way more eligibility years for indoor than outdoor. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, I was in track for like four years, seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth grade, mm-hmm. and I liked it at first, and then I decided I didn't like it anymore, so I didn't do it my junior or senior year. But it was always fun. The, I feel like the most fun part was, uh getting to hang out with all your buddies all day at yeah. the track meet, you know? Oh, yeah. And, you know, doing all your events and stuff and just seeing all your friends from other towns especially was always cool, especially here when, you know, I have I had like 15 or 18 classmates and I saw them every single day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I didn't have a choice in that matter. So it's like when you get to see other kids from other schools, Oh yeah. you just get to – make friends with them and everything is it snowing outside are you kidding it was literally it was 65 degrees yesterday yeah. it's like blizzarding out right now oh my goodness global warming is no joke <laughs> i didn't even wear a coat today i didn't wear a coat to school because i was like oh it was 65 out yesterday it's gonna be hot today i guess not welcome to montana oh yeah i don't really have any COVID updates since the COVID task force meetings have been canceled as of recently. Hopefully, 
next week I will have some, but take that as a sign that just nothing has changed and we don't really have much to talk about when it comes to COVID. I feel like people get sick and tired of hearing the same things over and over and over again. Yeah. And uh, it's it can be pretty draining for sure. I actually thought I had COVID. My mom tested positive for it. And so I went to Riverstone and I got one of those at-home testing kits. Oh, yeah. And it's two tests, but it's for one person. Mm-hmm. So I took the first one and all you do is you st- stick it in your nose mm-hmm. and then they give you this little vial of liquid and you... It's like a Q-tip, and you drop the Q-tip in the liquid. Oh, yeah. And you let it sit for, like, 10 minutes, Mm -hmm. or two minutes. You let it sit for two minutes, and then you take a test strip, Mm -hmm. and you dip it in the liquid that your booger Q-tip was just in. Oh, yeah. And it shows up with a blue stripe, and if you're positive, it'll show up with a red stripe. Oh, yeah. And it says that even the faintest red line is still a positive. Oh, yeah. So the first time I did it, there was no red line. Absolutely not. It was just a blue line. I was like, sweet, that's a good sign. I'm... I'm negative, right? Yeah. The second time I did it, there was the faintest red line, and you could only see it with my phone flashlight on it, Mm -hmm. and I had a really hard time taking a picture of it, and um, I was like, well, dang, like, now I don't know. I should go get tested, so I came to Student Health Services, and I got an actual test, Mm -hmm. and I tested negative, so... Oh, that's good. Yeah. It was just a roller coaster of, oh my gosh, I'm positive, oh my gosh, I'm not positive, da 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 yeah, because yes, Riverstone was here yesterday, and they were, they were giving, giving away like some free home tests for the students. Oh, yeah. They're pretty convenient, but I don't know how much I trust them, honestly. I don't know. They're expired. Really? Yeah, that's what the lady told me. She's like, they're like three months expired, but yet you can still use them, so. Huh. Just, I don't know. I still took them just in case. Like. Yeah. Better than nothing, I yeah. guess. Yeah, no. It was really easy. I just drove over to Riverstone on right off of 27th. Yeah. And I was like, just walked in. And I was like, can I get a at-home test? And they were like, sure, here you go. And then I left, and that was that. Ooh. Yeah, I have a, I have a consult on. Okay, so have I ever told you about my finger cyst? No. So I have a cyst. It's like on my joint on the middle finger of my right hand. Yeah. On the joint that like connects. It's like my first knuckle. Oh yeah. Right there. And the only time I ever feel it is when I'm at the gym Mm -hmm. and I'm trying to do like pull-ups or something. Oh, yeah. And that's when it bothers me the most is because I can't do pull-ups because of this freaking cyst. Oh. So I went in to get it looked at back in like June of last year, obviously. And uh, they gave me a steroid shot Mm -hmm. in my hand. And I'm not good with shots. I'm not good with needles at all, honestly. Like I I pass out. I'm really bad. Damn. And... um, like, oh my goodness, don't even get me... I have so many passing out stories, it's not even funny. And so, I was by myself. Usually, I have my mom with me, and my mom can, like, calm me down. Mm-hmm. But I was by myself. Yep. And she takes this friggin' five-inch-long needle out of her thing. I was like, oh hell no. And I immediately started crying and hyperventilating, immediately. Damn. And she's like, honey, I just need you to stay still. And I was like, okay. And she didn't numb it or anything. And she didn't even stick it in, like, where the cyst was. She Mm. stuck it, like, in the middle of my palm. Oh, yeah. And, like, the needle was so long, it went, like, into the cyst. She just had to, like, push it, like, three inches under my hand. Uh It was horrible. I'm, like, crying and hyperventilating all while trying to keep my hand still. All Uh I want to do is pull my hand away from this lady. I'm, like, I do not want to be there anymore. And finally, it's done. And my hand, like, my whole hand bruised up really bad. Mm. I was like, okay, I hope it goes away now. And mm-hmm. nope, it didn't go away. So 
on Tuesday I have to go back and get a consult so I can get surgery to get it out. Ooh. Yeah, and it's probably only going to be like three or four stitches right oh, yeah. here, but uh, it's gonna get, it's, it's like a six-week recovery, apparently. Oh. You're not supposed to get it wet or anything, which I'm like, okay, am I actually going to wait six weeks? Probably not. Nope. <laughs> probably not, honestly, but um, that's what you're supposed to do. And they wanted me to do it in the winter and not the summer, obviously, because in the summer yeah. you're going to be swimming a lot more than you are in the winter. I mean, unless we have some more 70-degree 70 70 days, who knows at oh, this yeah. point. But, um, yeah, that's a little update of what's going on in my life right now, so can't wait for that. I just want it out. Like, it's so annoying. Yeah. And the only thing it's – the only time I ever notice it's even there is when I'm at the gym. And – that's like where I want to improve, you know, at the gym. And I can't improve with this freaking cyst on my hand. So mm. it's it's just frustrating. And then I'm going to be out. Well, I'm still going to go to the gym. But it's going to be hard for me to, like, lift anything for yeah. however many weeks. So I'm going to lose, like, all my gains. But you know what? Whatever. I'll get it back. I mean, you could do, like, single arm exercises. But... Yeah, just get my left arm nice and buff. Yep. Why not? I mean, my right arm is much stronger than my left arm. So... It would just be evening it out, honestly. Yeah, at this point. Yeah, you should. I, like, from volleyball when in high school, my right shoulder is so much stronger than my left shoulder. It's not even funny. And it's like, it's more messed up, my right shoulder is. Both oh, my yeah. shoulders are messed up, but yep, my right same. one's more messed up. But it's so much stronger. And it's like, when I'm doing shoulder exercises, my left shoulder will get tired before my right shoulder does. Oh, yeah. I'm like, this is messed up. <laughs> But, like, it doesn't look strong or anything. It's, like, just the way, like, it developed, I guess, as I grew. Because I've been playing volleyball since fourth grade, so. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's kind of funny. And now, it's time for... Stories with Jordan. All right, so so this week with Stories with Jordan, I got two two very good, interesting stories. Um, so so it's, since February is Black History Month, I... Back History Month, I decided decided to dedicate this in this entire month to finding doing research on uh, historic Black figures that that have been overlooked since since com- commonly everybody else uh, majority of people associate Black History Month with with great people like Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, and those people are great. Yeah, they're great. But you just want to bring some more out of the shadows. Yeah, and plus and plus I want to challenge myself. See see what see what stories have been missing through the cracks cracks through all these years. So, so for the story, so for this first story, first story, I decided to research, research this late, research this lady who is considered to have the best vocalist in in all of jazz genre. And to start off is resilience is accepting your new reality, even if it's less good than the one you had before. You can fight it. You can do anything but scream at what what you've lost, or you can accept. That and try to put together something that's good. Elizabeth Edwards, Billie Holiday, Lady Behind Strange Fruit. Billie Holiday is considered one of the best jazz vocalists. Holiday had had a thriving career as a jazz singer for many years before losing her battle with substance abuse. Almost known as Late Lady Day, her autobiography was made into the nineteen seventy two film Lady Sings the Blues. In 2000, Holiday was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. 
Billie, Billie Holiday was born Eleanor Fagan on April 7, 1915, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Some sources say her birthplace was in Baltimore, Maryland, and her birth certificate reportedly reads Eleanor Harris. Holiday spent most of her childhood in Baltimore. Her, her mother, Sadie, was only a teenager when she had her. Her family is widely believed to be Clarence Holiday, who eventually became a successful jazz musician playing with the, with the lights of Fletcher Henderson. Unfortunately for Holiday, her father was, was infrequently visitor in her life growing up. Sadie married Philip Gower in 1920, and for the few years, Holiday had a somewhat stable home life. But the marriage ended a few years later, leaving Holiday and, Holiday and Sadie to struggle along their own again. Sometimes Holiday was left in the care of other people. Holiday started skipping school, and she and her mother went to court over Holiday's truancy. She was then sent to the House of Good Shepherd, a facility for troubled African-American girls. In January 1925, only nine years old, Holiday was, was one of the youngest girls there. She returned to her mother's care in August of that year. According to Donald Clark's biography, Billie Holiday, Wishing on the Moon, she returned there in 1926 after being sexually assaulted. In her early life, Holiday found solace in music singing along the records with Betsy Smith and Louis Armstrong. She followed her mother, whom, who had moved to New York City in the late 1920s and worked in the house of prostitution in Harlem for a time. Around, the, around 1930, Holiday began singing in local clubs and renamed herself Billy after the film star Billy Dove. Good for her. At age 18, Holiday was discovered by producer John Hamon while she was performing at the Harlem Jazz Club. Hamon was, in, was instrumental in getting Holiday rec- recording work with, with the up-and-coming clarinetist and band leader Benny Goodman. With, with Goodman, she sang vocals for several tracks, including her first commercial release, Your Mother's Son-in-Law, and, and uh, 1934 Top 10 Hits, Riffing the Scotch. Known for a distinct phrasing and expressive, sometimes melancholy voice, Holiday recorded with jazz pianist Teddy Wilson and others in 1935. She was made several. She made several singles, including "What What a Little Little Moonlight Can Do," "Miss Brown to You," and the same year, Holiday appeared with Duke Ellington in "Sympathy in Black." Around this time, Holiday met and be, and befriended saxophonist Lester Young, who was a part in the court's bass orchestra on and off for years. He lived with Holiday and her mother Sadie for a while. Young gave Holiday the nickname Lady Day in 1937, the same year she joined Betsy's band. In return, she called him Press, which was her along, which was her way of saying that she thought it was the greatest. Holiday toured with the Court Betsy's Orchestra in 1937. The following year, she worked with with Art Shaw and his orchestra. Holiday broke new ground with Shaw becoming one of the first female African American vocalist to perform with the white orchestra. Promoters, however, objected to Holiday for her race and for her unique vocal style, and she ended up leaving the orchestra out of frustration. Wow, I didn't realize how early this was. The 1937, that's like really early in time, and I'm sure she faced so many struggles and so many hardships because of the color of her skin. So it's just, it makes it all the more inspiring. You know, I was thinking it was in like the 50s or 60s, which was still not a great time to be a black woman. But just the fact that it was 37 and she was able to really make a name for herself and 
um, just seems like she worked really hard for what she had. Oh yeah, yeah she, yeah she had to, especially during this time. It just was like yeah, she had to work a, even harder because she was a black woman. Oh yeah, striking out on her own, Holiday performed at the New York Cafe Society. She developed some some of her trademark stage personas there, wearing garnetas in her hair and singing with her head tilt. Back during this engagement holiday, also debuted two of her most famous songs, "God Bless the Child" and "Strange Fruit." Columbia, her record company at the time, was not interested in "Strange Fruit," which was a powerful story about lynching of African Americans in the South. Holiday recorded the song with the Commodore label instead. "Strange Fruit" is considered one of her signature ballads, and the controversy that surrounded some radio stations banned the record. And help make it a hit. Over the years, Holiday sang many songs of stormy relationships, including "T Ain't Nothing Nobody's Business If You If I Do It" and "My Man." These songs re- reflected her personal romances, which were often destructive and abusive. Holiday married James Mon- Monroe in 1941. Already known to drink, Holiday picked up her new husband's habit of smoking opium. The marriage didn't last long. They they later divorced, but Holiday's Problems with substance abuse continued. In 1939, after singing her song "Strange Fruit," Holiday received a warning from the Federal Bureau of Narcotics, a government agency that lasted from 1930 to 1968, to never sing the song again. Holiday refused to keep sing- refused and kept singing the song. FBN Commissioner Harry Anslinger believed Holiday symbol symbolized everything America had to be afraid of. She had an heroin addiction because she had been chronically raped as a child, and she was trying to deal with the grief and the pain of of that. John Harry, who wrote the book *Chasing the Screen*, the first and last days of war on drugs, told WNYC, and also she she was resisting white supremacy and and was and when she insisted on continuing on her right as an American citizen to sing *Strange Fruit*, Anslinger resolved to destroy her. Anslinger was a widely known racist and made it his mission to take Holiday down for her drug and alcohol addiction and relentlessly pursued her all the way up until she died in 1959. I just want to talk about, like, Strange Fruit is her claim to fame. It's like her message that she wanted to put out, right? Yeah. Her main message. And some of the lyrics, it's called Strange Fruit, and that sounds like kind of a strange um, title, right? It's like you wouldn't expect that to be... And it's talking about Southern... This is some of the lyrics. I just looked it up. Mm-hmm. Southern trees bear a strange fruit. Blood on the leaves and blood on the root. Black bodies swinging in southern breeze. Strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees. So the fruit in the title is the lynched people. The lynched African Americans. Yep. That's very... I could see exactly why old white men had a problem with it. Oh, yeah. It's calls them out directly for yep. everything. And it's like, wow, that's a strange fruit to put on a tree, yep. a freaking body. And it's just, it's very powerful. So if you haven't heard it, I definitely suggest to go look, to go listen to it mm-hmm. and um, really get a feel for Billie Holiday and how her advocacy for um, African-Americans. Yeah, and I actually heard the song Strange Fruit as, as I looked it up on YouTube, YouTube right before I was doing this story and that song's powerful. Yeah, and that's uh, I'm like almost ready to cry just reading the lyrics. Yeah, so. you should you should listen to your song. Like, yeah, it probably made for you sure. cry. Made you cry for sure because I got that feeling, that eerie feeling of why why that song is cons- is probably considered, considered one of the greatest songs ever, ever. But yet, 
yeah had but yeah so it's so controversial to the point like like even involved the fbi yeah and yeah they tried to silence her too yeah she just refused it's epic an epic woman yeah for sure the same year holiday had a hit hit with god bless the child she later signed with Decca Records in 1944 and scoring R&B hit the following year with Loverman. Her boyfriend was a trumpeter, Joe, Joe Guy, and, and with him, she started using heroin. After her mother's death in October 1945, Holiday began drinking more heavily and escalated her drug use to ease her grief. Despite her personal problems, Holiday remained a major star in, in the jazz world and even in popular music as well. She appeared with her idol, Louis Armstrong, in 1947 film New Orleans. I bet playing role of role of a maid. Unfortunately, Holiday's drug use caused her a tremendous professional setback that, that same year. She was arrested and convicted of narcotics possession in 1947, sentenced to one year and, and a day of jail time. Holiday went to a federal rehabilitation facility in Anderson, West Virginia. Releasing, released the following year, Holiday faced new challenges. Because of her conviction, she could not get the necessary license to play, play in the carbonets. And clubs. Holiday, however, however, could still perform at concert halls and had a sold-out show at, at the Carnegie Hall not long after her release. With some help from John Levy, a New York club owner, Holiday later played in New York clubs Ebony. Levy became her boyfriend and manager by the end of the 1940s, joining the ranks of the men who took advantage of Holiday. Also, she was again arrested for narcotics around this time, but she was acquitted of, of the charges. While living her hard life, she was, t- was taking a toll on her voice. Holiday continued to tour and record in the 1950s. She began recording for Norman Grants, the owner of several small jazz labels, in 1952. Two years later, Holiday had a hugely successful tour of, of Europe. Holiday was also caught, caught the public's attention by sharing her story with the world in 1956. Her autobiography, Lady Sings the Blues, 1956, was written by William Duff. However, some of the material in the book must have been taken with a grain of salt. Holiday was in rough shape when she worked with Duff on the project, and she claimed to have never read the book after it was finished. Around this time, Holiday became involved with Louis McKay. The two were arrested for narcotics in 1956, and they married in Mexico the following year. Later, many other men in her life, McKay, used Holiday's name and money to advance himself. Despite all the trouble she had been experiencing with her voice, she managed to give an impersonable performance on television broadcast The Sound of Jazz with Ben Webster, Lester Young, and Coleman Hawkins. After years of lackluster recordings and record sales, Holiday recorded Lady in Satan, 1958, with Ray Ellis Orchestra for Columbia. The album's songs showcase her rough rougher sounding voice which still could convey great emotional intensify. Holiday later gave her final performance in New York City on May 25, 1959. Not long after this event, Holiday was admitted to the hospital for heart and liver problems. She was so addicted to heroin that she was even arrested for possession while in the hospital. On July 17, 1959, Holiday died from alcohol and drug-related complications. Considered one of the best jazz vocalists of all time, has influenced many performers who have followed, followed in her footsteps. Her autobiography was made in 
made in the into the 1972 film Lady Sings the Blues with with famed singer Diana Ross playing this part of Holiday, which helped renew interest in Holiday's recordings. In 2000, Holiday was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with Ross handling the honors. In 2021, Day portrayed Holiday in the biop biopic The United States vs. Billy Holiday, which is which is streaming on Hulu. And that's the story of Billy Holiday, the wow. lady behind Strange Fruit. What an incredible woman. Like, she had everything against her. Everything. She was black. She was a woman. She was a drug addict. She came from poverty in uh, New York. And she still was able to make a name for herself. And it's definitely, it's very inspiring. Yeah. Yeah, Billy's Holiday is like really, really, very interesting story that yeah, but, I mean, I've like I've heard of Billie Holiday before, but I've never actually heard like the story behind yeah. her and what she did. Very inspiring, very inspiring story, Jordan. I like that one, except for you know she unfortunately lost her battle with addiction. Yeah. And, um, you yeah. know, there's so many stories like that of artists who, who, just get caught up in that type of stuff and they aren't able to get away from it, and it's it's tragic, very yeah. tragic. And then you also had, had Harry Anslinger from the Federal Brew of Narcotics going after her as well. So, mm-hmm. so you know, just like, you know, they've been going after her ever since she released that song, yeah. that infamous song. 100%. I just want to point out that while Jordan was telling that story, this stopped snowing and it was sunny out again. I didn't want to say something and interrupt him. But now it's blizzarding again. So <laughs> I'm just like sitting in front of the I, because I'm sitting in Ben's spot. I could see the window. In my spot, I can never see the window. So I'm yeah. like, wow, I cannot believe it's snowing again. Sounds about right. And on to story number two. The, man, I, uh, this is a very, very interesting story because I heard the story from the Joe Rogan podcast. And I thought it was like a very interesting story. Then, uh, it, then turns out he turns out this man released a TED Talk about about his own personal story as well. So I've written into read that story as well. And I find that interesting to the point where like, you know what, I got to add the story. I got to add the story. I think people are going to love this story as well. Can't wait. Love me or hate me. Both are in my favor. If you love me, I will always be in your heart. If you hate me, I will be in your mind. Quandale Baloch. Legend of Daryl Davis. The original Can I Speak to Your Manager. Is he the original po- Karen? In a positive way. Oh, in a good way. Okay. Yes, okay. in a positive way. Because when I hear, can I speak to your manager? Yeah. I think Karen. But I'm interested to see how it can be a good thing. Daryl Davis is a blue, blues musician, author, and lecturer with an unusual and inspiring mission. While traveling throughout the United States over the last three, three plus decades, he, he saw all of out members like the Ku Klux Klan and other white supremacist organizations and gotten them to change their ways. Davis says that he, he's convinced some 200 people to leave the KKK to date. But as Davis tells, tells it, he doesn't set out to co- covert these people, but instead befriends them. Then Davis says they transform themselves and starts each counter with a simple question. How can you hate me when you don't know me? So remind yourself, as, as I'm telling the story, Keep asking yourself this question. How can you hate me when you don't know me? Born on March 26, 1958 in Chicago, Illinois, Daryl Davis became keen aware of racism starting at a young age. In 1968, when he was age 10, I had a racist incident, he explained. 
I was in I was in the Cub Scouts and we were in a parade when people started throwing rocks and things at me. At first, they were thought that people had a problem with the Boy Scouts, not with him. He could not believe the people would attack him like that or like that without knowing him. How they was wonder could could they be filled with such hate? He carried that question with him all his all of his life. And in 1983, at the Silver Dollar Lounge in Frederick, Maryland, Davis found himself face to face with racism again. After the show, an older white man approached Davis and complimented him on his music. They got you talking and and decided to share a drink with Buck. But a couple of things about the encounter struck with Davis asked Azad. Though the man compared Davis to Jerry Lee Lewis, he seems he seems dubious that Lewis had been molded by black musicians. Even more strangely, the man said that he never shared a drink with a black man before. Davis asked why not, the man dumbered, but after the man's friends insisted, the stranger looked at Davis in his face and said, I'm a member of the Ku Klux Klan. As Davis, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. As Davis remembers it, his first reaction was, was incredulity. I was... I just burst out with laughter because I really didn't believe him. He said, "Then he, the guy, produced his his clam card and handed handed it to me." Immediately, I stopped laughing. But Davis kept talking to the man. The fact that a cook, a clan member, and a black person could sit down at the same table, enjoy the same music, that seemed that was a seeded plant. Davis recalled. Then there, Davis began pondering a dangerous idea. He wanted to go meet other clansmen. In the years that followed, they. Daryl Davis did precisely that, an experience he later detailed in his 1998 book, Clan's Destiny, Relationships, a Black Man's Odyssey in the Ku Klux Klan. That sounds terrifying. He's literally risking his life. Yeah. Like, the Klan lynches black people. That's, like, oh my god. It's so brave of him to, like, go and seek these people out. Like, if I was him, I'd run the other direction. But, like... Can you imagine if you're just sitting there, you know, talking to this guy at the bar, and all of a sudden he's like, "Yeah, I'm a member of the Ku Klux Klan." Yeah. Like I would, I would probably react the same way. Honestly, I'd probably burst out laughing and think that he was joking. And you know, that's just such a crazy thing to say so nonchalantly. You know, like, "Hey, you're black. I'm a member of the Ku Klux Klan." Yeah. And this goes back all the way to the all the way to the question that he that he had back back when he experienced this experienced this incident at age ten. How can you hate me when you don't even know me? So of course, so after after his experience at the Silver Dollar Lounge, he he ended up going going after his experience at the Silver Dollar Lounge. Daryl made his goal to meet up with clans clansmen clansmen. He asked the man he meet he met at the bar, who later left the KKK, to help him set set up a meeting with Roger Kelly, the Grand Dragon. Do not go to Roger Roger Kelly's house. The man warned, Roger Kelly will kill you. Davis insisted, though his meeting with Kelly was tense. It was also the beginning of a long conversation. Eventually, Kelly quit the KKK, shut down his chapter, and gave Davis his old robes, the first of many class classmen to do so. How did Darius? How did Daryl Davis do it? Simply, simply put, he listened, and when when the time was right, he asked gen gentle questions, allowed them to air air their point of view, regardless of how extreme it may be. Davis said, you challenge them, but you don't challenge them rudely or violently. You do it politely and intelligently. When one classman claimed that all black people had a violent gene and, de and suggested that Davis was merely latent, Davis wondered aloud about all the white serial killers like Ted Bundy, 
Jeff, Jeffrey Dahmer. Oh my Dahmer. God, exactly. All black people have a violent gene. You're in the Ku Klux Klan. You're literally out here killing people. Like, you don't think that's violent? I, I'm, I'm gonna shut up now. But I'm just, I'm incredulous over here, honestly. Yeah. And could, and could there be a white serial killer gene? The man did not have a response. He left the KKK five months later and gave Davis his rope. He literally is just like presenting them with their own stupidity. Yeah. He's like, here, you're stupid. And yep. they're like, you're right, I am stupid. I'm going to leave the Ku Klux Klan. <laughs> yeah, but, but instead, of like, instead of like being feet violently and He's and so controlled and so patient with them. I would, yeah. like, if I was him, I would get so heated. I'd be like, how can you think that about me? Like, how can you hate me? You don't even know me. Yep. Like, how? I, I would not handle it that way. Like, he's definitely a stronger person than I am. Oh, yeah. And and some people after, some people, especially black people, dis, disagree with Davis' methods. He he acknowledges that he's been called an Uncle, Uncle Tom and an Oreo, but Davis believes he's doing important work with accurate, tangible results. When two enemies are, are talking, they're not fighting, Daryl Davis explained in his words. The conversation gives him an opening to ask probing questions to hammer at the cement of hatred ideas. I, I didn't convert anybody, he added of. He added, of the hundreds of people who hung, hung up their classmates' robes after talking to him, they saw the light and converted themselves. And because of because of that, I, I because of that, I believe, believe he deserved to title the original "Can I Speak to Your Manager" in a positive way. Because because which man, which person would have have the have have the gush have the who, balls basically to go to the the Grand Dragon of yep. the Ku Klux Klan as a black man? Not me. Definitely exactly. not me. Exactly. Oh my goodness. And that's the story of the legend of Daryl Davis. Daryl Davis. Yeah, and that's another, like I had heard of Billie Holiday. I had never heard of that. And that's such an important story that needs to be, um, it goes way beyond racism too. Like you can put that context in anything. When enemies are talking, they're not fighting. Oh yeah. You know, like it it's applies to everything. It's a very important lesson. And I think that these stories definitely need to be told oh yeah for sure and that's why i had to add this story yes i like those stories those were great jordan i really enjoyed them i appreciate it sorry ben couldn't be here to listen to them we have to force him to listen to the episode after it comes out yeah okay so since it is valentine's day we thought it would be kind of fun to find some like first date horror stories and tell them and uh just kind of like, I don't know, lighten the mood a little bit too. Uh, so I can go first. I have two little stories that I found on Reddit, which I don't know if these are true. It's not really the point of whether they're true or not. It's just kind of fun and entertaining. So we'll start with the shorter one first because I think this is just hilarious. <laughs> okay. So a cute-ish guy approached me at a foreign film screening in my, at my university in Arizona and asked me out in French which was the language used in the film. I spoke college-level French, so I accepted the offer of a date. I mean, he was kind of cute. When he picked me up that Friday night, he greeted me with Guten Tag. Okay, cute. A reference to the foreign film screening, right? Mm. Nope. From that moment, he spoke nothing but clumsy German all night long. He took me to Blockbuster, and in parentheses they have, I'm old, and we rented a German film. He spoke German to the cashier. He spoke German through dinner. He spoke German while watching the film. 
He tried to get to first base in German. And yes, this whole time, I was telling him repeatedly that I don't speak German. I can't understand him. He just responded in German. But the weirdest moment was when the roommate came home as I was awkwardly leaving. And in parentheses they have, my date was trying to convince me to stay, dot, 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 in German. (laughs) And then parentheses. And my date interrupted our conversation to say in a perfectly normal Arizona accent, hey man, what's up? And then turned back to me and continued to speak German. (laughs) Like, could you imagine going on a date and homeboy literally won't stop speaking German? Even though, like, you know he speaks English. Well, I guess she didn't know he spoke English. But, like, it was just bonkers. Like, some of the, like, some men, I swear. (laughs) Okay, and then my, that was a little short one. And this one's a little bit longer. Um, I took him to a baseball game where he proceeded to pronounce loudly to anyone and everyone around us that we were an item. He pulled out a very large bag of peanuts with the shells and started eating them. With the shell still on. Which I used to do that as a kid, but yeah. I was also seven. Ah, makes sense. <laughs> yes. He had pieces of shell all over his face while he kept asking my friends if they wanted any. Occasionally spitting up nut particles. <laughs> spitting up nut particles. <laughs> on them, much to their horror and my extreme embarrassment. That's one of my biggest pet peeves is when people talk with their mouth open. Oh, yeah. And they have like food in their mouth or they have food on their face it, like really grosses me out i don't know why yeah he then tried getting into a full-on fight with me about a hypothetical situation where we would be caught on kiss cam this is in quotations i'm mm. just saying if we're on it we gotta go hard and i was sitting there cringing and grinding my teeth into oblivion he drank so much that he never even really saw the game and then parentheses i had to keep getting up to go to the stadium bar and he kept asking for my id so he could double fist his ten dollar coors lights he probably spent a hundred dollars on coors in the first few hours not sure why i kept letting him use my id maybe it was just shock Mm -hmm. he chugged two beers on our way out and kept refusing to let me walk on a certain side of the sidewalk because a man walks on this side it's his duty to a lady (laughs) yeah wtf He started insulting women as we were walking past to get to my car. I was ready to punch him in the mouth, but he was like 6'7", and I just wanted to take him home and forget the night ever happened. He drunkenly started insulting my driving while we were in post-game traffic and kept trying to open the door to get out and drive instead of me. He insults my career, tells me I couldn't possibly keep up with the, quotations, manly job I have. But don't worry, babe. It's not because you're not great. It's just that it's too hard for you is all I'm saying. (laughs) Literal puke in my mouth. I finally pull up to his house and I'm white knuckling it to the point where my hands are nearly numb. I tell him to get out and he asks me to come in. I said, absolutely not. And he lunged at me to kiss me. And he like sort of licks my face. I literally shoved him out of my car onto the street and sped off. (laughs) The next day he texts me, hey, had a great time, would love to see you again. And I said, your behavior was ridiculous, please never contact me again. And he responds, cool, well if you ever want to get a beer, let me know. Hard eyes. Hard pass. Hard pass. Yeah. The audacity of some men, like honestly. (laughs) When I was searching up these stories... About 9 out of 10 of them were men acting dumb at first dates. I'm not, I'm not making any statements about that. I'm just... 
I'm just reporting what I found. Nine out of ten of them were women writing it about the man that they took out. Oh yeah, first of all, who spends a hundred dollars at um course? Yeah, exactly. Like you want to get drunk that bad at a baseball game? At least get something worth drinking. Yeah, because I can never see myself spending ten dollars on course. Yeah, at a baseball eight, game. Ten dollars a can? No, thank you. No, thank you. And yeah, especially course too. Like at least get something that tastes good. Yeah. And and for me, I got one one last story from dating for ha- card. I think I'm going to be stood up for my fifth date with this girl. What should I do? T T L D R. I met a girl in my in my queer friend group, and I have have a plan, and I have a pay in advance fifth date with, this Sunday with her. That was rescheduled two weeks ago due to her oversleeping. We we rescheduled, then she ended up coming out to eat instead. When she came out, she wasn't touchy feeling or barely wanted to give me a kiss or a hug. Even though she was doing that before, vice versa with me doing it to her. She she initiated all the flirt, flirting and expressed how much she liked me or liked me and felt felt comfortable with me in the first first three dates and sex and she suggested all of these things we could do for the fourth date, the one she she overslept on. She said she 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 even said she wanted to have a sleepover and sent me her test results. When we left the last day, I asked her to let me know when she got in. She got in safe. She didn't test test till next morning. Now I haven't heard from her in two and a half weeks, and and the date is this Sunday. She's active on IG in our friend group, so nothing happened to her. I'm trying to resist the urge to call her out for wasting my time and making it awkward in the group. Something she said she wanted to avoid. What should I do? I feel like he could have just texted her. She's probably waiting for him to text her. She probably okay. This is this is the way I would think about the situation if I was the girl. If I'm like initiating all the flirting, and putting in like all the effort into this relationship, um, and I feel, and all of a sudden if I were to just stop, I would be waiting for that energy to be reciprocated. Yeah. You know, like I'd be waiting for the guy to call me, the guy to flirt with me, the guy to tell me he likes me, and all that stuff. So, yeah. That's just the way I would think I would do. I mean, goodness, that's just the th- the way I see it. But I think he definitely could have called her up before two and a half weeks went by. She probably thinks that he doesn't even like her. Yep. And she probably feels dumb because she put all this effort into him and he doesn't even like her. <laughs> but it seems like he does like her. I don't know. It's hard to judge these strangers on the interwebs. Yep. And that's why I just read it. Yeah. God bless Reddit, man. God bless Reddit, honestly. Like, we could do a whole segment on funny Reddit stuff. Yeah. Alrighty, guys. I think that is all we have for you this week. Uh, Happy Valentine's Day. Have a safe and healthy week. I just want to say that while Jordan was talking, it started snowing again, and now it's not snowing anymore. So be safe out there. You never know what the the weather's going to do, I guess. It's literally been on and off all day. Um, We will see you guys next week for a little celebration of Black History Month. And you can follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Facebook. And thanks for listening. Each friend represents a world in us, a world possibly not born until they arrive, and it is only by this meeting that a new world is born. Anis Nin. Mm-hmm.